Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the House of Learning podcast. Hello. We're back. We, we are back and we are right near the end of Luke. We've got two chapters to go, two podcasts mm. to go to finish the book of Luke. That's, mm. yeah, I wonder how many hours we've spent talking through Luke. It's quite a few. We've been really invested. Yeah. It's been really good. Yeah. And so we are, as usual, going to try and talk through, it's quite a substantial chapter because we have the crucifixion and the trial of Jesus. So yeah. it's like big events. Um, but yeah, to fuel um, discussion, reading, just praying, meditating on this, um, talking about it in community. Because I know on Sunday, like whoever's teaching, there's no way they're covering more than like Just some small bit. part of this because um, it's so And it'll be awesome. It will, yeah. yeah. It also a little bit makes me want to slow down and be like, oh, yeah, the cross. So why the cross? Yeah. And like, well, that's a few I, hours. I feel that's least. like a 20-week <laughs> course yeah. that yes. we need to do because that's such a big question. And so there's big questions today. But we'll, we'll talk about, mm. but um, yeah, it just really makes me want to, like, I've, I've really wanted to do a course mm. on, like, why the cross. I've got a about a 20-foot-long shelf of books yeah. just on the atonement yeah. in my office waiting to be unleashed on All class. right, stay tuned. <laughs> but we're not going to do that right here. But we're not going to do that no, today. today. No, I'm looking forward to that. But we're think about that question today. Yeah. walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it Luke 23, but we are going to pick up a little bit at the end of 22 because yep. we left Jesus like in the courtyard mm. of the religious leaders. Um, but uh, we really finished with Peter looking in on mm. that scene. And now at the end of chapter 22, we have what's actually happening um, mm. with Jesus in the scene. Mm. So, yeah, we'll... we'll um, I guess uh, to to get in the flow back like back in the flow of chapter twenty two, mm-hmm. so we had like a lot of themes of Jesus becoming isolated, ostracized, betrayal. You know, Judas betrays him with a kiss, mm. um, and he's arrested in the midst of like an intimate moment of prayer with the Father, but an, also an intimate moment with those like the inner yeah. core of his disciples who are supposed to be praying with him but keep falling asleep because it's the night time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're sleep deprived. So, yeah, it, it's a sort of scene of, um, I don't know, I want to say the wheels starting to fall off the wagon. That's the sort of image, but there's actually, it's not that things are breaking down. It's just that Jesus, I think, is, pushing towards something in a way that there's no way everyone else can keep up because they just don't understand what's happening and they can't navigate what's happening the way he's going Mm. to. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, it's this sort of, sort of interesting set of shifts as Jesus. I mean, at the beginning of the last chapter, we had the last supper. So we have some moments of like glorious intimacy, but then, you know, yeah, it just becomes so clear that what's happening with Jesus, no one's getting, really. Nobody. And so even that, I uh, just picking up on your, you know, it looks like the wheels are falling off the wagon. And I think that's that's probably how 
you know, the disciples felt that's how it might look, etc. But in some ways, this is the moment that Jesus has been getting after all along. So yep. this isn't... Um, this is uh, the fulfillment of his mission, and um, how can we see that in here? Yeah. In, in the accomplishment of what he came for and what he did, and it's to look at it like, um, oh, what a what a miss or a failure yeah. it was. Like that's how we might initially look at it, but yeah. it's this was intentional. Yeah. yeah. I, I even, like, I remember talking to people who have said, I could never be a Christian. I could never, like, there's no way that God would allow his son mm. to die like this. Mm-hmm. Like, I could never follow a God that would allow mm. this to happen. Mm-hmm. So just, the like, the only possible narrative they can fit this into is that this is a moment of failure. Yeah. And Luke's actually going to portray for us that this is something very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and I think if you know, if we've known Jesus for a while, if we've talked about the cross, um, you know, we're used to it. It's hard to imagine ourselves into the scene of how the disciples would have felt and been affected. Um, I actually think it's like doubly interesting to do that. Uh, we'll probably see that play out in the next chapter a bit more. But one of the, I don't know, evidences for the resurrection is trying to explain how the disciples go from the sort of mental, social condition they were in, mm. emotional condition um, at the crucifixion to Acts chapter 2. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you which know, is a miracle. So this, there's this amazing transformation, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of like what makes the difference. And yeah. that all the realizations that we'll see play out, but the realizations we'll see play out in the next chapter are teed up by the confusions yeah. that hopefully we'll see in the, mm-hmm. this chapter mm-hmm. and the last chapter. Mm-hmm. And you touch on something that's just uh, interesting to do as I, like as I go through the Gospels, um, and especially these moments leading up to the cross and also after the resurrection, putting myself in the shoes of the witnesses there. And mm. each one, like I think it's, and we're going to see some people who are present in these scenes in, in Luke 23, but I just think it's interesting. Like It's easy to kind of like just judge like, oh, you know, Herod, like he was a bad guy. So of course, you know, he's going to condemn Jesus. Um, Pilate too, you know, but... But maybe it's more like where, what if I were somebody like Herod, you know, power hungry and how, like, how could I identify with him in my response to Jesus? Or what if I was more like, you know, the, one of the disciples um, walking with Jesus on earth and having him teach me and tell me these things. And now what's actually going to happen to him? Like, how would I respond? And I, it makes it really personal to me to to put myself in the shoes 
of each person in the response mm-hmm. to Jesus, knowing that there's a little bit of me in all of them. Yes, reflected in all mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not just discount it and like, oh, you know, and yeah. I, 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 so there's so many ways to read these passages and it excites me every time. Yeah. Um, to, to get to do it in that way. And I've studied mm. more Matthew than I have Luke. So this has just been a good journey in doing yeah. that. And, mm. and we're going to do it in, in, in chapter 23 too. So so let's dive in. So the, the religious, the Jewish religious leaders have arrested Jesus and taken him. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a, a council of ruling religious leaders. Um, and so he's being cross-examined by that group of people um, but it's really interesting. Um, it's a very different mentality, you know, as I don't know, we have the sort of innocent improve until proven guilty mm. paradigm, mm-hmm. you know, but Jesus has been arrested because he's seen as a threat and despised and hated. And they are so vitriolically angry. Mm-hmm. at jesus yes um and so it's no surprise like at the the end of uh chapter 22 here the people holding jesus in custody are mocking him and beating him mm-hmm. so already that hatred is pouring out mm-hmm. um uh, towards jesus it's getting uh, finally getting expressed because they Remember, we have this repeated theme before. They couldn't do anything in public because they were afraid of the people. But now it's in private. It's almost like their true colors are being seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not only beating him and mocking him, but blindfolding him and then hitting him and saying, prophesy, who struck you? So it's, um, I, I don't know, the the idea the they have that makes that a way for them to show disdain is there's no way you're a prophet. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's yeah, playing off a denial that he has any divine power uh, in him. So it's a complete rejection of him as a prophet. Mm. Um, and they said many things against him, blaspheming him. Mm. So just cursing him, viewing him as cursed by God. You know, it just, I mean, it, there's a sense of irony through these chapters, which is like, how could their view of Jesus have been so diametrically at the other end of the spectrum to the truth? Mm-hmm. Like, how can it be so, so wrong? You know, um, it, it's just... It's quite bizarre, you know, that the the tip of the spear right now about what they view Jesus as is the antithesis yeah. of who Jesus actually mm. is. Mm. Like completely blind mm. to the reality that's in front of them. I wonder if there's um, so often throughout Luke, we've seen this juxtaposition of uh, we've of, we've seen images, uh, we've seen stories of blind seeing the blind seeing or the seeing yeah. being blind yeah definitely um, and and i find that inclusion in this story mm-hmm. that they blindfolded him yes. and demanded it is like it's almost this uh um well it's that 
irony here of like actually who's really blind here. And he's kind of been, he's been pointing to that throughout um, that they are, as you said, they're just blind to the truth that's Mm -hmm. standing right before them in the, in the present. Yeah. It's so interesting. They're blind and, and Jesus is the one who sees. And in fact, the way Luke's writing this is, is just this um, absolute like description of all that Jesus sees in his sovereignty and his omniscience <coughs> of the entire plan. Mm. Um, you know, just beforehand, how he, um, you know, was talking about uh, before the rooster crows today, you, Peter, will disown me three times. Mm. I mean, that's the ultimate, like, Jesus sees into the future. Yeah. So now mm. he's being put, he's being blindfolded, but indeed you can't, yeah. you can't cause Jesus not to see ever, right? Yeah, the, there's the really interesting, I don't know, because Luke doesn't draw this out as much, but there's a b- biblical theological mm. theme throughout the scriptures about light and darkness. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, like, this I, I just think about that prophecy that begins, um, I think it's from Michael, like a people sat in darkness, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but the uh, when you see that, like, who's seeing play out, yeah. um, there's two versions of not seeing that we see here. Mm-hmm. One is you've got the religious leaders who've completely got the wrong end of the stick mm-hmm. but are totally sure that they know what they know yeah. and they're wrong. Jesus, the one with the blindfold in, on, he's the one who seems to see clearly, absolutely what's going on and how to carry himself, how Mm -hmm. to respond, what to do. But then you've got the Roman leaders who are just confused. Yeah. Questioning and questioning and Mm -hmm. questioning and no idea what the answers are. Mm. So there's a different version of not seeing that we're going to see play out with that. We'll get to it in a second. But Yeah. yeah, it's just interesting to tee that theme up. Of light and darkness. Yeah, yeah and yeah. seeing and blindness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. so then we get to verse uh, 66 and daybreak. Mm. So now the elders roll out of bread, out, bed. Of, out of bed. They weren't lying in bread. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they, they arrive uh, because Jesus was arrested at night. Yeah. So Jesus hasn't slept. He's been beaten and mocked all night. And, and then you know, he's going to be cross-examined mm-hmm. by the elders. Um, so they get together and take him to their council. And they're asking him, if you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, if you are the promised and prophesied one sent from God who will come to establish God's redemptive plan and kingdom. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, a word that had very rich meaning for them. If you are the Messiah, tell us. But it's really interesting, Jesus' response here, okay? The, like, word for word yeah. is, is worth getting right. If I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you, you won't answer. I, and I think this alludes, well, it doesn't just allude, it alludes strongly, it points back to Jesus' interactions with them, mm-hmm. where they kept, he kept... T- He's been revealing himself yeah. mm-hmm. as uh, the Messiah, but uh, not the Messiah you expect. Mm. Um, but he also, when they tried to confront him a couple of chapters ago about the question of his identity, said, okay, well, let me ask you a question. 
and he asked them a series of questions uh, and it really put them in the position if you if you answer honestly then you're going to have to admit there's something about me mm. where god is at work mm -hmm. but if you're not willing to do that you're not going to be able to answer my question mm -hmm. so he's pointing back he's he's not being um elusive in his answer here he's effectively saying guys I've already answered this mm -hmm. question lots of times. Mm -hmm. We have interacted about this. Um, because it is, it's a mock trial. Yeah. So he's, he's not playing the game. Um, and so, he, he, uh, yeah, he's just wanting, I don't know, uh, there's something kind of powerful here because I don't think this is Jesus being passive-aggressive. By being like, oh, I've already told you. Like, why are you asking me again? You're so stupid, you know? Um, I think it's more of a, he really wants them to, to go on a journey because he knows how this is going to play out, yeah. mm -hmm. right? Some of these people are going to be among the thousands that turn to Jesus after his resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, I think he really wants their interaction with this moment of hatred, of crying out, crucify him, of having their way and seeing what happens next to be able to interact with where their heart was at, where their mind was at when they asked him the questions earlier. Mm. Because at mm. those times when he said, like, let me ask you a question. Again, he wasn't just trying to be like, you're so stupid, you're so dumb, let me ask you a question. He was trying to ask them the kind of question that would force them to confront what God was doing, mm. to have to reckon with it and at least become conscious of what they were rejecting, you know? And so even at this moment in a mock child, beaten, sleep deprived with people who are just now out to hate him and kill him, he's responding in a way that is actually trying to sow the ingredients of fruitfulness and redemption in their minds and bringing in that concept of reminding them they they have free will to choice to yeah. choose there's mm -hmm. there's that free will they're they're asking just tell us exactly who you are and you know us with the implication that if you just tell us we'll believe and um and he's he's speaking into their um their tendencies already to uh to be closed off to the truth but uh, I don't know. There's always this question about free will, and um, this, this verse, as you're telling us about it, Richard, I see that in here as well. Um, yeah. With that open, do the door still open. All is not done with belief with these pe with these people, but um, but and and they do have a choice. Yeah, but but God is trying to affect their choice without breaking their freedom yeah. to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and then he drops the bomb by uh, giving them, like moving the revelation of himself forward more clearly. And he says, um, from now on, so like what you're going to see next is the son of man seated at the right hand of the power of God. So effectively... Yeah. So the Son of Man title was one of Jesus's preferred titles, and it comes from Daniel. Mm -hmm. um, the, actually, the Bible Project have got a really cool video yeah. about the Son of Man explaining that title. If you've never watched it, go watch it, because it, it really illuminates mm. what's going on. Because um, we might think, 
our way of thinking is why didn't you call yourself aren't you the son of god why are you saying son of man mm-hmm. you know are you denying you're the son of god you know what's going on mm-hmm. but son of man was a unique title like a messianic title but it had to do with a prophecy in daniel about one who would come who would have this title son of man who would be a person who despite humanity becoming more and more beastly less and less like the image of god someone would come who would then sit on the throne on the divine throne a human being who would sit on the divine throne and actually restore the image mm-hmm. so this son of man title is jesus putting prominently at the front of his mission which is really interesting because they're confused about the messianic mission mm especially because they're under Roman occupation. You know, if I was under, you know, oppression and occupation and God said he was going to come deliver me, I would be looking to have the Romans kicked out too. Mm -hmm. It totally makes sense, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But he's putting prominently at the front of his mission and I'm going to restore the image of God in humanity by being the human that deals with the beastliness, Mm, like the mm. depravity, the brokenness, the falling away from the image. And so it's a mess. This is a messianic claim that he's making here to this council. And unmistakably. I mean, that's, I I think. Like I'm, I'm the divine. Yeah. I'm, it's, I'm divine and I am this prophesied one. Yeah. 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 To and, restore. And, and we may need, like you said, like there's great resources on unpacking that, knowing that if it's unfamiliar to us as a reader when we first read that. But I think the point I hear you making too is like for these guys, absolutely unequivocally. Yeah. You know, they know and what it's, he's it's saying. It's speaking in language of Jewish prophecy. Yeah. So for us, we have to do a bit of work yeah. to see this as a mic drop moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he's mm-hmm. dropping a bomb. Because um, it, it's not drawing on imagery that we've grown up inhabiting. Right. But, but for have. these people, yeah, it was. Yeah. Here's the here's the other interesting thing. Because it's, it's, re- it's saying, it's answering their question, but avoiding the misconception that would have happened if he just said, yeah, I'm the Messiah. And they would have been like, why aren't you doing this then? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's saying effectively, yes, but I'm doing, I'm actually doing the different thing than you think the Messiah mm-hmm. should be doing mm-hmm. right now because your expectations are wrong. Right. right. But the other thing is they think that crucifying Jesus is their moment of victory mm. and Jesus's moment of failure, which we just talked about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What Jesus actually says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand, enthroned on the divine throne, on the Daniel's, mm. Daniel's divine throne, like next to the Father. Mm. Jesus is actually saying the cross from now is that's an, victory. It's an enthronement. Yeah. And so the very thing that looks to all intents and purposes mm. to them like it is abject failure of his mission he's like no actually uh the cross is my enthronement it is my Mm. moment of victory Mm -hmm. and then the resurrection is the vindication the public vindication Mm. by god of that victory Mm. and and allowing that victory to start to then like roll out and affect Mm. all of creation and it i don't know i 
again, that's like that theme of who knows what's going on. Yeah. You know, Jesus sees so clearly yeah. what's mm-hmm. about to happen mm-hmm. as a moment of victory. Mm. Um, it, like he's the only one. <laughs> no one else, like when Jesus is dying, is like, yes, it happened. Like, he's done it, you know? Yeah. Um, he's the only one who says, it's done. It's finished. Yeah. You know? And like, mm. I wonder what must Jesus had felt in that moment of verse 2271, where they say, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the the judgment, the fine, the you know this is the first kind of trial that they're gonna. He goes on, but w- is Jesus like quickened in that moment, thinking, okay, I mean, first step is done. They are, they are God's will is being done. I will be moving to the cross. It's no surprise to me. In that moment, they think they're convicting him. In that moment, Jesus sees victory on the horizon and and so reading this in that context of of um not as for us not as um sadness Mm -hmm. but as um victorious um in christ is is a whole different way of reading yeah yeah and that claim again it's a little unusual for us like are you the son of god then you say that i am Mm -hmm. you know why not just simply say yes um, I think what Jesus is trying to draw out is um, to make clear to them, you understand that I am claiming I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. just I say that I am, yeah. but you understand my claim. Right. You take me to be, and you, Do you take, understand what I'm really you, saying. You take all the things I've been doing yeah. as leading to the conclusion that this is what is being presented. Yeah. He's, so again, he's trying to get them to reckon with his life ministry teaching mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the way up to this point. Yeah, um, and and like you say, if we're under any confusion about what was being communicated, they're like up in arms. Like, well, that's blasphemy. You just claim to be divine. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we don't yeah. need any more testimony. Like, this is it. Yeah. it. We, we got you. Like, no, you can't claim. You're a human being. You can't claim to be God. Yeah. So they're really clear what's being claimed at this mm. point. They're very clear. Right, so then we move into chapter 23. Chapter 23. Yeah, we've got to keep moving here. Because um, I feel like this actually is... Um, Luke presents things in a way here that is quite fast-paced. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, it, it all comes tumbling together quite quickly. Um, so then the whole company, so all of them, en masse, arise and bring Jesus to Pilate. So we should say who Pilate is. Yeah, just remind us. We, we're going to see a couple of characters in here. Yeah, these uh, Roman officials. Yeah, um, different from the Jewish leadership who are just taking them. So the Jewish leaders are taking Jesus to see Pilate. Yeah. Okay, what's going on there? Yeah, and under Roman occupation, the Jewish leaders had some power. They had like a pseudo mm-hmm. power, but in deference to Roman power. Mm. So there were some things that they just couldn't do mm. because it would have been usurping Roman rule. Okay. And and part of Roman rule was not just well we want to be in charge, but they wanted to establish the Pax Romana, mm. like the mm. the Roman way of life that was peaceful. Mm-hmm. And so Rome took really seriously being able to influence a conquered land to bring it under their way of like of life. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and so yeah, the Jews just, they didn't get to chuck people in prison. 
you know, yeah. enforce things. They, um, yeah, uh, and actually, in lots of places, you never had anything like a council of elders mm. still sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's partly because trying to enforce the Pax Romana had been so problematic in mm. Israel that they had compromised by allowing the elders to still have a social position of power, yeah. if not a political like a real political mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sort of legal authority um, in and, the land. And they're in the they're in Jerusalem too. So it's yeah. not just some town in Judea. They're yeah. in Jerusalem. They're in the <coughs> um, really the hub of that yeah, it's ground zero. Yeah, ground zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what's Pilate's role in just what's his what's yeah? His so he's he's like local governor. Okay, um, and his job is to ensure the Pax Romana moves forward in Jerusalem. And so, the the land of Israel was split up amongst various governors. And when you say the Pax Romana, just... Ex- oh, yeah. Just, yeah. 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 It's the way of life. The Roman way of life. Roman life, yeah. 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 Um, and Pilate had been... So there's bits of history here, yeah. right? Yeah. Pilate had been having a really hard time with this mm. and actually had failed um, with some rebellions um, a few times. And he was like, okay, you've had two strikes, Pilate. Mm-hmm. He was on the bubble. He was. And to fail would not just have been like, ah, well, okay, you didn't do good. We'll elect someone else. I guess you'll go continue your, your career somewhere else. Like, failure would be um, not just the end of his career, but it could have been the end of his life. Yeah. Um, so he had to get this right. He had to get this right. He could not have another rebellion on his hands. Yeah, and getting it right isn't <coughs> doing the right thing. It's Saving it's keeping the Roman peace, the yeah. Roman, so, well, not the well, the Roman way of life, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, is maintaining and, that. and the way he's been getting more success doing that is by instead of coming in with just a blanket show of force and stamping his way over Jerusalem, of sort of subverting Jewish identity and authority by allowing them like a little room for maneuver but mm. on his leash. And so this sort of weird interplay between the Jewish leaders and Pilate is one of his tools to try to mm-hmm. uh, avoid the problems he, he's been having. Mm-hmm. So he sort of set himself up where he needs to kind of show that he listens, but really um, he's in charge, you know. So he's put himself in a really difficult situation politically. Um, yeah. But as, so as we see this and... I know this is one of the themes that we'll talk about. It's just this this abject condition of um, of all these of humanity of of people at this time is brought forward by Pilate. The officials. We'll see. See. Um, sorry, um, Herod in here is this. You know, you get this picture of a really um, politically crafty guy who's his goal is to maintain his position yeah. and his uh, place and authority and, and this manipulating of people. Yeah. He's been doing that all along, kind of giving the Jewish leaders a false sense of 
authority. Yeah. Uh, okay, but still, as long as as long as that keeps you quiet, now I'm getting my yeah uh, meeting my needs yeah. anyway. So kind of power hungry, yeah. manipulative, but also afraid yeah. and under threat, yeah, and insecure. Yeah, you know. So you see lots of different aspects of yeah. like darkness and unhealth yeah. playing out in Pilot. And, and the part about Pilate in these verses is very quick. He first asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you have said so. Um, he announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis against this man, but the crowd pushes back. He stirs up the people all over Ju- Judea, they say, by his yeah. teaching. He started in Galilee, they say, as he come all the way. And immediately when, when Pilate hears he started in Gal- Galilee, he asked if he was Galilean. When he learned he, and then he's he's like, oh, he is, and he's now he can send him off to Herod. Yes. So in a, in a nutshell, that's what happens with Pilate, and we see we see now that we understand the characteristics of Pilate, yeah, can understand what why he, he just dealt with that right yeah. right then and there. Mm-hmm. Not my jurisdiction. Here you yeah, go. Yeah, it's Herod. like get out of jail free. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. oh, I don't oh, have perfect. to be the one to put my foot in here. <laughs> I can send him to Herod. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. The, the other interesting like aspect of darkness I see play out is that the Jewish leaders knew exactly how to try to manipulate Pilate. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, this, this. this mm-hmm. person has been mm-hmm. teaching people mm-hmm. against the Pax Romana, mm-hmm. stirring up trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want another rebellion. We're only giving him to you because we think that's what he's going to do. Yeah. So they are manipulative um, because they're not really telling the truth. Because this narrative about who Jesus is and why he's a threat, we haven't seen Mm. until this point in the gospel. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Right? So this is a lack of integrity and manipulation on their part. So it's it's like you're really seeing humanity at its worst. And, and, um, you know, when we think of at their worst, we tend to think of mass murderers or, you know, like... Like, what are the ultimate crash of an abuse of power against someone who's innocent or weak? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, God's sort of God's way of pointing at darkness is often it's very close to that, but it's it's injustice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's when justice, it's when things that are right and true are just not being. And so, this is picturing mm-hmm. the Jewish leaders as being completely unjust in their dealings mm. with Jesus and, and Pilate. And we're going to see Pilate being unjust. But it's like the the Jewish leader's injustice comes from an abuse of their power. Mm-hmm. Pilate's injustice comes from, if anything, lacking any strength mm. to do what was right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he so, had a moment there to do that. Yeah. He passed up on it. But and, and, and Herod, well, we'll around. read Herod. We'll, we'll just yeah. unpack Herod yeah. a little bit here. But it's almost like we get the full catalogue of the varieties of what motivates injustice. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yes. You know, um, uh, and because uh, I think, in a sense, that's that's part of the enthronement of Jesus is that the beastliness, the unjust, mm. non-image of God version of humanity is here doing its worst at its worst mm-hmm. and they think that like the darkness thinks it is conquering the light but Jesus actually views it as being enthroned because he is taking 
humanity at its worst doing its worst and is going to overcome the worst by his love and sacrifice and so that that's the the weird exchange you know with the cross so but like that that narrative about what's happening is that's why it's important to have the full gamut of human darkness yeah. on display because that's what Jesus is going to overcome by and and we see those little nudges of his empathy that he'll answer in a way that like leaves them with a question that might lead to fruit later mm. um yeah so so then Herod so he goes to Herod and Herod's interesting because Herod's been sort of following this thing for a while mm-hmm and he's inquisitive, but it says he's inquisitive because he wanted to see a miracle. Yeah, he's kind of showing. So me Herod's interestedness is not like, man, could this be the Messiah? Could this be a divine thing? Could this be a prophet? Could he's just like, I want to see a magic trick, man. Yeah, <laughs> I heard you've done some wacky stuff. Now let's see yeah. it, right? And so he cross-examines him and questions him, um, but Jesus is not being—he's not being drawn. He's not like. I'm not an animal in your circus. So he's refusing to play ball. Um, and then... And we've seen this in Herod before. Yes. This is Herod who you know, had John the Baptist beheaded. And at, even at that time, um, yeah. he was kind of saying the same thing. I'm, who is this guy? I thought I had John the Baptist beheaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's interesting because alongside him trying to... It, another sort of picture here is he's questioning at length Jesus isn't answering but in the scene is a crowd of chief priests vehemently accusing Jesus just yelling shouting accusation so it's it's not a scene of like you know uh, like our modern courtroom drama and the witnesses on the stand in silence and everyone's like this is super awkward he won't answer it's a bit more of a Jesus is not going to fight to answer, mm. but he, he almost can't get a word in edgeways because this crowd of chief priests are just shouting accusations. They're, they're just, and, and it's like an abasement of, of the process because actually Rome had some very like clearly delineated um, processes of uh, like legal due process. And so here you've got, but you've, I don't know, it pictures the chief priests and it's it's sort of interesting having had the Daniel thing and the beastliness like as, as a picture of human depravity and you've got the chief priest just like baying for blood. Mm-hmm. You know. They're just, living that out. Yeah, mm. just pictured that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so Herod then, you know, he doesn't get what he wants and so the soldiers, Herod's soldiers mock him and uh, they put him in the splendid robe, basically to, to uh, I don't know, shame him. Really, mm-hmm. it's like the the idea of shame it's start coming him. to the foreground, mm-hmm. mocking him, and sent him back. And the interesting thing is because being a politician in Rome was a very cutthroat, like trying to mm. progress yourself by uh, by stepping on others, and so. You like your your governor in the territory next door was not your ally; they were your enemy. Mm. And it's sort of interesting again that like the darkness playing out is that the injustice is leading to um, 
two figures who are examples of darkness becoming friends. Yeah. Yeah, that combined forces. It's yeah. like the thing they have in common is they they've always been against each other, but now they're for each other's cause in bringing down Jesus. Yeah. It's the their the the hunger for power has caused them to be blind to every other issue they'd have. And it's just this picture of the darkness compounding now yeah. Um, yeah. as a force against Jesus yeah. and even stronger one. Yeah. And so then we get like, okay, so what's your verdict, Pilate? And Pilate basically says like, hey, you brought him to me, you accused him, I've examined him, I don't find him guilty of any of your charges, I sent him to Herod, he didn't find him guilty or deserving of death. So I'm going to punish him and release him. And we think the word punish there is, it actually feels a bit strange to us because we're like, well, if he's innocent, why are you going to punish him? Mm-hmm. But really, he means torture. It's mm-hmm. like to ensure there's absolutely nothing, we'll question him under torture and then I'll release him, mm-hmm. which is a sort of normal Roman practice. Yeah. Um, and isn't it interesting, like just as you said that, you know, normal Roman practice, right? And this was what, Pilate all along, you know, the Pax Romana, it said, like, this was somehow normal. This was what, you know, Pilate's trying to preserve, sent to preserve this way of life. And just like when we're talking about themes of darkness, like how did this, you know, suddenly that's standardized yeah mm-hmm. in this world like oh and that would be a good thing if we could preserve yeah just th- torture him no problem yeah yeah yeah. Uh, is, yeah yeah and and then the response is interesting hmm. um because you've got the chief the 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 crowd is in verse 13 is the chief priests and the rulers of the people so the ones who i mean Luke has done such a good job of showing us part of the character of this group of people. Mm. But and it says they all cried out together. So there's a consensus. There's almost like this herd yeah. like animalistic out of control outburst mm-hmm. of their desire to get rid of Jesus. Um away with this man and released to us Barabbas instead. And Luke tells us Barabbas was someone who had murdered someone uh, during uh, an attempted insurrection or some sort of rebellion and had been thrown in prison. So it's really interesting. Um, we, we don't know much about Barabbas, but it's almost as if they're like, well, you know, there's a, there's a couple of supposed troublemakers you know, and you, Pilate, have got to be seen to quashing troublemakers. Mm-hmm. We know you need to do that, but we would rather you gave us Barabbas and did that by punishing Jesus than the other way around. So again, mm-hmm. they're manipulating. And, and what do we know? What we we don't know a lot about Barabbas, but he actually had started an insurrection. Yeah. He so he actually was actually a true criminal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So so you're you're seeing the ruler's judgment being completely clouded by yeah. their hatred. Mm-hmm. So again, it's that picture of injustice yeah. playing out. And we have that sort of 
animalistic, you know, Pilate addressed them again, wanting to release Jesus. But verse 21, they just kept on shouting, crucify, 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 crucify. There's just a cr- an out-of-control crowd baying for blood. And so uh, mm. Pilate, uh, you know, and a third time says, why? What evil has he done? I don't find any guilt of him. I'll punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And the three times is significant because... Mm-hmm. That was how you establish something. Three mm. pieces of evidence or three in, in court mm, or mm. three witnesses. Um, you know, so it's uh, it's Luke helping us understand there is a completeness. You know, it wasn't like a, someone said crucify him. You know, someone misheard, something went wrong, Pilate ended up. No, it was like a determined, thorough, complete strategy and plan to get rid of Jesus that had to overcome the completeness of someone trying, like, even Roman justice, you know, as broken as it was, of trying to cross-examine, ask for witnesses, torture, you know, do all the right thing, what they thought was the right things. Like, this is a moment of complete injustice. Yeah, it's almost you've got this juxtaposition of this completeness of his innocence three times yeah. he's saying nothing's wrong you guys are out of your mind yeah you know why would i do that there's no i can find no fault yeah three times this completeness of his innocence you know juxtaposed to the completeness of their injustice their thirst for injustice yeah. um and, yeah. and that's the uh, i think the irony again playing out in the way luke's presenting this is uh, that this is how broken the religious leaders are. Mm. That even this kind of idiot failure of a Roman governor can see that Jesus is completely innocent. Yeah. So, it, like, who is finding him innocent is kind of significant as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, but they, he relents. He gives in because he can't have a riot on his hands. Right. Like he's had a riot and he got in trouble for it. Like he can't have another strike. So Pilate decided the demand should be granted and he releases Barabbas. So Mm. then then that sort of brings us to verse 26 and now we're going to see Jesus being killed play out. Mm. So next... This is not me blowing my nose in the background because I'm tearful. It's uh, allergies now getting the better of me. (laughs) well so what do we see you know in these next starting at verse 26 they're leading him away into this procession to be crucified and so um you know there's there's a a deeper story behind this that's somewhere you know that some of the other gospels go into but luke's telling us this for um you know to, he, he's highlighting some different things. He is. Like there. some of the other Gospels um, talk a bit more about the process of crucifixion yeah. and the torture, the, yeah. the scourging that happened before. Yeah. Horrific. Horrific. Like uh, it, it just, the, just the torture and the scourging is yeah. horrific. And then crucifixion itself is a, a method of killing someone that's effectively to make, to asphyxiate them in a way that is really painful 
over as long a drawn out time as you can. Yeah. It's, so it's designed to be like a shameful, drawn out, painful death. Humiliating. Yeah. 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 And and actually that humiliation is worth mentioning. Like mm. to be, it f- from a Roman point of view, this was a way to shame and expose um, and embarrass um, and just demean someone's humanity. Mm. But also from a Jewish mindset, to be killed this way would reveal that you were less of a human, mm. that you were cursed by God. You know, so the view of all the onlookers is like, oh, this is revealing. So again, that contrast, this mm-hmm. is revealing who you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got this question, are you the king of the Jews? Sort of floating around. You know, we know that's nailed above the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that view contrasted with Jesus's view and the way that other people are sort of seeing glimpses of it is like, oh, this isn't less of a human. This is more of a human. Mm. This is a king. Uh, And and that contrast, you've got some soldiers mocking him. Like, if you're a king, do something about it. And you've got other people being like, wow, you are a king. So the people's responses are also um, polarized in these moments. As actually the people's responses have been polarized throughout Luke. Now it's just in one scene to the next scene to the next scene, this yeah. polarization that continues to happen. Um, but so. it's interesting that the first half of this chapter leading up to Jesus being condemned, we've got thoroughgoing humanity at its worst, not a glimmer of hope in there. Unified. Yeah. But against. once Jesus is on the cross, the way he comports himself on the cross mm-hmm people start to be affected and mm-hmm. see maybe there's moments. more going on. Yes. And it's something it's something really interesting, I think, where Luke is trying to help us see that there's something about God dying on a cross that has the power to reveal something. Mm-hmm. That even Absolutely. though everyone th- like seemed to think this was a moment of failure, there's these little glimmers of hope in like, the criminal next to him, mm-hmm. the centurion watching, even even the crowd, some of the crowd go away thinking like, oh, but what just, what really just happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking, it just, there's something in the power of Jesus' death that's really interesting. And it, it's not exposited. <coughs> um, and actually I think it's as we get into the last chapter of Luke mm. and into the book of Acts that Luke will... Um, take s- more space to unpack why. <laughs> yeah. um, so, we, you know, that's like a big question, but it's really interesting that the root of that idea that Jesus's death has the power to change people is a, like we're getting clues to it mm-hmm. here. Um, and we're seeing evidence of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, they, they led him away. Uh, they get Simon of Cyrene. So he's... Um, someone who is in Jerusalem for the feast as a visitor um, because Jesus, he's not strong enough to carry the cross. Mm. He's lost loads of blood at this point, you know, things like that. Um, But it was a normal practice as part of the embarrassment and shaming Mm. that someone would be paraded to their crucifixion Mm -hmm. site. Um, And so they they forced Simon to carry the cross. Um, (coughs) And then, yeah, it... 
this is a public event. So you've had the crowd of the leaders, but now you've got the crowd of Jerusalem and some Roman soldiers and officials. So you've got this diverse group of people now watching, um, like following out of the city. But you've also got um, uh, people who are (coughs) mourning and lamenting. Uh, And it highlights actually especially the women Mm-hmm. Um, which is yeah, there's some sort of interesting detail here of you know why were the other disciples not mourning and lamenting right, right. And I, I, well we actually saw Peter lamenting in the last chapter going out and crying mm. but the women were never going to be seen as leaders in the community causing a problem so they can they lament could publicly voice their feelings and not be in a way that the men couldn't because because mm-hmm. they're like oh we might be next yeah I always learned that the disciples must have been hiding somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah <coughs> sorry allergies over yeah there. they're like the wheels are falling off the wagon I'm smithing <laughs> Steve's coughing Angela you got to hold this I'm together okay. I, I, I'm okay keep, keep us <laughs> I'll just keep, keep talking going. over the coughs <laughs> yeah uh, and then it's really interesting because Jesus turns. And he says this, he says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when, and, and he actually it echoes some of the sort of apocalyptic yeah. vision that he gave about the fall of Jerusalem. And so, um, yeah, it, he's trying to connect this moment like uh, as they're lamenting the end of something he's trying to connect in their mind what is this actually the end of and what does that mean and how should you respond to it so again sowing ingredients for people to be able to respond in a more nuanced way to what's Mm. happening that would draw in some of what he'd taught and, and revealed but that hadn't been understood yet Trying yeah. to like keep it, keep it ruminating, keep, draw it back into their mind. Yeah. And isn't that so like Jesus in this moment where it could just be absolute failure? He responds with words of hope. And that theme of like hope amidst the, the darkness um, because of who he is and what he's doing. And yeah. this is this is just a continuation all through Acts as well. Um and I just love it. I love yeah. to find the hope mm. in all of mm. his responses. Yeah. And, th- and then there's a few really profound things that uh, Jesus says that, uh, like, you put all the Gospels together, there's actually more stuff, but Luke's yeah. selected some things to show us here. And, w- uh, I mean, he wants us to know that he's, like, numbered among the transgressors, yeah. fulfillment of prophecy, mm-hmm. that he's being crucified with a criminal on his left and his mm-hmm. right with two criminals. Um, they they interact with Jesus. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but as they are crucifying him, like as they are in the act of actually killing him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Mm. And so this is like God's heart is against injustice. Like the whole scripture screams that God is against injustice. Mm -hmm. And as Jesus, the son of God, fully innocent, 
is being the victim of injustice. Even in that moment, God's heart shines. That God being against injustice is not God doing what these chief priests are doing. Mm. They are a threat to justice, but God does not turn and hate them. God actually forgives them. So the contrast of what Jesus is doing to what the religious leaders have done is like so stark. And it's one of these mind-boggling things. It's just like I, I cannot imagine, you know, beaten, mocked, blood loss, my back torn to shreds, in immense pain, having nails driven through the nerves in my arms that carry like you know, when you hit your funny bone like just excruciating yeah. pain to have the wherewithal to not be screaming out not be crying for mercy not be just trying to escape or release the pain mm -hmm. but to instead pray father forgive them they don't know what they're doing like they and, and again it paints broken humans as people who are tragically trapped in brokenness, mm. which which really in like it goes all the way back to Genesis three, and the portrayal as humans as those who are deceived by an enemy, and it's a reminder like these broken humans are not the enemy, the Satan, the adversary, the snake, the root of beastliness, that's the enemy. Mm -hmm. That's the one that Jesus is going to have victory over. And so, but the, the, the very fact that Jesus could do this is, is, is mind-boggling, but I think it helps illuminate why, like we'll get to in a moment, a centurion is like, oh my goodness, or, or one of the criminals next to him is like, you're different. Mm -hmm. you yeah. know, they're just, they're seeing something profound and amazing in Jesus, even as he's dying and being killed. And in this verse, I mean, 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. This is an intercessory prayer, too. Yeah. It's, it's an appeal on behalf yeah. of, so not it's only... It's literally a prayer to save his executors. To save, which later we will see, right? Don't, yeah. I mean, so... So it's it's a picture of the intercession already. Yeah. Um, and that's what Jesus does for us. Yeah. And we and I take peace knowing that Jesus right now, as we speak right now, is interceding for me in sins that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and I'm not aware of. Yeah, I and love it's that. just so horrible too. Mm. It's hor I mean, horrible, but I don't even know to confess them, right? Um, thank the Lord for Jesus who yeah. does and is. Yeah. And then we get a few more details like Luke wants us to connect to that this is a fulfillment of God's plan, the dividing of his garments, fulfilling a prophecy. And then you, you've got the like the, the religious leader scoffing, uh, but there's other people stood by watching. And it's a real indictment on the darkness in the leadership of Israel. You know, that that God had invested so much in a covenant and it is so thoroughly broken by these religious leaders. Uh, and th that mocking, I, I think we mentioned this, like, you know, 
you know, let, he, he claims to be able to save people, well, let him save himself, mm-hmm. which is basically a way of denying he has any power to save. And like you just said, Angela, he mm-hmm. literally just interceded to mm-hmm. save his executioners mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in prayer. I mean, what kind of yeah. person is this that does this? Those, yeah. These um, thieves on either side yeah. must be noticing. And the soldiers are there. They mock him. They offer him sour wine. Like, if you're really the king, save yourself. Mm-hmm. And he had this inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And it's that, I mean, that is such an interesting thing because it's... Um, you know, it's been put there partly to mock, but partly to stick it to, for Pilate to stick it to the religious leaders. Like to be clear, like this is what this man claimed and this is what you say. And he is actually going to be crucified under the banner of not me saying, yes, I agree with you. He's not a king. Because I actually found him innocent. So. But but then the irony is that it's actually true. It's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. And it so gets it, me it's every time. Just this weird way that God is orchestrating things to try to, again, give the ingredients to reveal what's really going on. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, I, I love. And, and then he interacts with the criminals. So one of them is like, "Aren't you the Christ? Save the uh, save yourself." So he's got again broken expectations just our fear and pain just wants anything to to save him but the other criminal rebukes him and says do you not fear god you are under the same sentence of (coughs) condemnation and and we justly because we've actually done wrong but he's innocent so there's a there's this criminal he's done wrong not a good person in unjust uh, but in this moment, he's recognizing in Jesus an innocence yeah. mm-hmm. that something unjust against an innocent is happening. Mm-hmm. And like d- the don't you fear God sort of indicates there's something about this person where what they're watching in Jesus is causing the fear of God to rise yeah. in them. And then you have a, an expression of faith. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So an acknowledgement, I, I think you are a king. I don't understand what's happening, but you are a king. And for if it's a Jewish criminal, that only means one thing. That means yeah. you are the Messiah. And then Jesus responds with the affirmation, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Like, yes, I will remember you when I come into my kingdom. Mm-hmm. I will bring you with me into, into that kingdom. <coughs> so yeah, that change of that criminal Uh, it's again one of those things about um, the effect of witnessing Jesus and how he dies and what he says and what he does that the fear of God (coughs) which is I don't know we don't have time to unpack in detail but just an awareness of God's eyes and power being present you know God's that God is aware of you and that God is God, you know, that that is becoming manifest as people are watching Jesus die. There's something really interesting about that. And it's, I just like this moment, it's it's a mark in time of the person, the first person who he's confessing Jesus is Lord and Jesus answering that he will be with him in paradise. 
I mean, I don't know. This is just a moment of like, he's, he, Jesus offering him salvation in this very moment mm-hmm. to be with him today. Um, when Jesus couldn't have been weaker, he, couldn't he have been does weaker. something that is strength for yeah. this person. Mm-hmm. And he describes where yeah. he's going and where, by the word paradise, and where, where this person will go to with him. And yeah. um, I don't know, what a powerful point in time. Yes, yeah. I, I see too. <laughs> some, like all this mocking in here as well. I just have echoes of when he's out in the wilderness, you know, with the with the devil tempting mm-hmm. him. And so this is another you know, temptation for him, if you will, like get down. Yes. You know, throw yeah. your, hey, you'll be fine if you throw yourself down. Yeah. You know, and he's he stays obedient to God's will. To yeah. God's, you know, he's he knows what he's here for, um, and he doesn't. And I think there's something also in that about you know uh, this this criminal mm-hmm. seeing that that's transformational when when and I think about when we act in accordance to God's will and in alignment with. God's will, that's noticeable. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, we have a opportunity, Jesus invites us to um, reflect who he is, mm-hmm. you know, elsewhere. Um, but sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's just simply doing what God's asked us to do. Yeah. yeah. And then we get to Jesus's actual death, mm-hmm. where, because he actually died somewhat quickly for a crucifixion mm. which is why we see in the other gospels like a soldier was surprised and stuck a spear in him yeah. like oh are you really dead you know yeah. thought it was weird um and the detail that jesus gave up his life mm-hmm. he wasn't on the cross fight because on a cross you would use your strength to pull yourself up to mm-hmm. take a breath mm-hmm. but your arms would be dislocated so it'd be really hard jesus doesn't fight death yeah. he allows it to happen and so, um, but it's a moment of darkness and mourning. So we have this, like in verse 44, there's darkness over the whole land mm. for three hours and the sun's light fails. So it's like a, a moment that really feels like darkness, but just, just for that time, for those three hours. Mm. And then the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Um, it's... Yeah, I love that. I, I, I mean, and, and, and it's a moment of lamenting and a moment of darkness. But think about like the actual like picture of the scene, because what's behind the curtain? Like what? Where's the, the lampstand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where? How does light? You know, the, mm-hmm. that light of God. You know, the the darkness just compounds the moment of like the light of God shining. Yeah. as this curtain that was part of the old covenant that said mm. there's a problem between humans and God that means their relationship has to be mediated by something that creates a barrier mm. like mm. That, that makes it hard and then that is that is removed and light comes mm. pouring out you know mm. just yeah that the darkness, I think it just enhances that sort of 
like the shadow if it was a horror movie you know the lighting the shadows yeah. would creep in around the room as it looks like the anticipation that something bad is going to happen and what actually happens is this the, brilliant the curtain is torn in two yeah and, and, the, cur- and the curtain is like it's not like the curtains we have at home. It's a massive. It's like eight thick inches thick. Yeah, it's this massive, like, none shall pass, mm-hmm. like, armored curtain mm-hmm. yeah. to protect, you know, the Ark it's and the Holy wall. of Holies. Yeah. <laughs> no one went behind so that this, curtain. So this tearing the is, is a miraculous, like, act, mm. divine act mm-hmm. uh, kind of moment. Yeah. And the curtain is torn and Jesus said, so Jesus like it's, it, Luke's trying to portray these as coincident events. Yeah. The curtains torn just as Jesus says, "Father, I commend, I commit my spirit to you into your hands." Mm. That Jesus like as Jesus gives up his life to the Father, the barrier is removed. Yeah. That these two events are intimately intimately linked. Wasn't there an earthquake at this moment too? Yeah, and like it's not recorded so, here. So we get it in one of the other gospels yeah. that like so yeah. there is like resurrection mm-hmm. of some people who just died <coughs> coming out of their back At out of their grave or things yeah. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then we have the centurion, which is interesting because centurions are not like the other soldiers. Centurions are always portrayed as sort of men of honor, men who maybe have a little more wisdom to look and try and see what's really going on. And the centurion sees what takes place this is really interesting like the way the fear of God rises mm. in the criminal that leads to faith for the centurion like a Roman who knows he could have been connected to Jewish Jewish proselytization or something you know um, while serving in Jerusalem we just don't know his connection to like the Old Testament scriptures and, and to God um, I kind of like to think he's going from zero here. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's just Roman in his mindset, but he praised God. So it's really interesting. Like he sees God at work mm. in what's happening. He's like, and, and I don't think, I mean, the disciples, the ones close to Jesus who've got all the ingredients of Jesus trying to help them see what's really going on don't get it i don't think there's any way this roman centurion's like oh man like i think jesus just died for the sins of the world praise god this is awesome no Uh, but he's just seeing like god is doing something Mm -hmm. god is here god is doing something and he praises god uh just like an amazing effect on him of seeing uh this play out and 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 because he's like certainly this man was innocent like no one has died like Jesus died. You know what what I love about those verses and just this picture of him is you know, even as you said like he probably hadn't put all the pieces together and what all this meant and and that sort of thing but seeing God move seeing God do something should cause us to respond in praise yeah like we don't have to have it all figured out and have it all right ra- because i'm sure he's this centurion still got a lot of questions like i i don't know what i'm just seeing yeah but um i'm praising god yeah yeah and it's interesting is <clears throat> he's it, I, I find it so interesting that you have a criminal having the fear of god a centurion praising 
But then you've got yeah. his acquaintances and women stood at a distance watching. Mm. They're not praising. Yeah. They're wondering. Mm. And uh, uh, that's a little confusing, but it makes sense to me being so relationally mm. invested that they would be affected by Jesus' death in a different way mm. and would have to overcome a lot of pain to see anything good yeah. or have any response other than lament you know, uh, about what's happening. But, but it also says they had followed him from Galilee, so they'd been with him a while, so yes, lament, extra lament, they've known him. But also I imagine, as I've always read this verse, um, stood at a distance watching because they're connecting some dots. Yeah. They're processing. The wheels are turning. Yeah. There's, yeah. They've been under the teaching of Jesus for a long time now, three years maybe. Um, and, uh, and so there's more for them to, there's more to be revealed to them based on their relationship yeah. with him versus the centurions yeah, who just yeah. in the moment, like yeah. this is their yeah. visceral response. And that wheels turning thing you see in the crowd, mm -hmm. like just mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, not the religious leaders, but the crowd at large yeah. who've come to witness a spectacle, yeah. which is a weird thing in the ancient world. Like, oh yeah, you want to go see the crucifixion? Yeah. That'll be a laugh. Yeah, yeah let's, they always like, that'll be yeah, fun. Let's do it. You go know? to the town square and It'll be a spectacle. That, yes. But they go home mm -hmm. beating their breasts, which yeah. you know, we talked about a bit before, but yeah. yeah. Um, just th they've got the wheels turning as well and mm. th the other interesting thing at the end here then is the way Jesus is buried so he's sort of been mocked and shamed and treated as poorly as poorly can be and at his death there's like a revelation of something different that actually there's a different reality and then the way he gets buried is so Joseph of Arimathea is a, he's a a rich man, a righteous man, a good man, a member of the council who actually tried to withstand what was happening. Mm. So someone like God's got a hold of, like God's doing yeah. something in this person. And to be to be buried in this kind of person's tomb would be the highest honor. This is like, you know, you if you go mm. to like an old church graveyard and mm -hmm. there's tombstone and then there's like the big monument Beautiful. tombstone, mm -hmm. you know, that's like, wow, this person was held in high esteem by their family or the community or things like that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so, so Jesus is actually then honored. wheels are turning, fear of God, praise of God, and Jesus is honored. Mm. It's like the next mm -hmm. thing that happens. And would it have been unusual for a man of his stature, Joseph of Arimathea, to actually go claim the body and and bury it? Or is, I mean, are we seeing some, also some just humility? In, yeah, and, and risk, I think. He's yeah, sticking his neck out risk. to go to Pilate and yeah. ask for the body as well. Yeah, yeah so the, there's definitely a Joseph jesus connection yeah of like some kind of love and and it could be that uh joseph already had that i mean clearly something different has been mm, going on mm. with joseph mm -hmm. or it could be that his witnessing of the crucifixion has changed something in yeah, him yeah, as well yeah. and so we're, so jesus is, is wrapped in linen shroud laid in the tomb um but it's just before the sabbath so they can't do all the things you would normally do around mm. a burial because <clears throat> a dead body's unclean and you can't be unclean on the Sabbath. So mm. the scene is paused mm. for the Sabbath. So that's a good, like, we finish here mm -hmm. with things paused. So yeah. 
that's like that's the right tone to finish what this chapter with. Yes. We're just pausing. Next time, we'll see what happens yeah. next. Oh, yeah. 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 So keep reading, keep mulling over these things. Great things to talk about. Yeah. So much in this passage, and if you've stayed with us for all these, all this time today, thank you. Yes, and, well uh, done. We'll we'll talk to you next week. Okay, goodbye. goodbye.